Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Hello, friends. I am recording from the narthex of the church today because it just felt like the right thing to do. It was a beautiful sunny day here in Arcata. And I am really excited to bring God's word to you today. I hope that this time edifies you and builds you up in your spirit um, because we're starting a new series today. Um, You know, what's so interesting to me and also a little frightening is that Lent begins next Wednesday and it will mark almost an entire year since we stopped meeting together in person for our worship gatherings. And I know that we've seen each other here and there. We've done all sorts of different gatherings, weekly gatherings, hikes together, all sorts of things together uh, since we've not met in in a church building. We have still continued to be the church regardless, but it's made a lot of changes. We've had a lot of different changes in our own lives and in the lives of those around us and even within our church. This past year has been unnerving. It's been disorienting. Sometimes it feels like I can't quite find my footing. And I wonder oftentimes in my prayer life, I wonder like, how am I to lead people that I love when I have never navigated through waters like this before? How am I to direct and guide when there's no handbook for all of this? But friends, we do have the Bible and we do have the Holy Spirit and we do have wisdom within each of ourselves. Back when the early church was just getting started in the midst of violence and oppression and and, and in displacement where some people were trying to figure out how to move forward in God's ways and laws in rapidly changing world around them and in quickly shifting faith perspectives, what do I hold on to, what do I let go of, and what do I leave behind? What is the most important thing for people to have in their growing relationship with God and in their relationship with their neighbors? Like, what is so important that we hold on to and what are we supposed to let go of? The early church leaders and the early church uh, parishioners were all wondering these same things like we oftentimes wonder today as well. One of God's most important laws that helped kind of set the people of Israel apart, the Jewish people apart from the rest of the nations was, and it was incredibly special, was circumcision. And and during this time after Jesus rose from the dead and after he ascended into heaven, these new churches were trying to find their footing, trying to figure out the way that they were called to be Christ followers as Jews. And these Jewish Christians, because Christianity came from Jesus, who was Jewish, uh, they were requiring Gentile Christians who were then converting to Christianity to get circumcised in order to belong. And for most males over the age of infancy, this was a big deal. It was probably even a deal breaker, I would assume. So the question was posed to these early church leaders, what should Gentile Christians do? Should they be required to convert to Judaism and then be circumcised and then to follow Jesus Christ? And are these church leaders the ones that are going to make the right decisions for everybody else? These were really heavy things that they were holding on to. So these church leaders prayed about it and they debated and they argued and they conversed about it and they determined, well, it seemed good to us. 
and to the Holy Spirit that you shouldn't be burdened with anything beyond following these simple Jewish requirements. And these are the ones that they said, don't eat meat sacrificed to animals. I'm sorry, to idols. Don't eat animals that were killed in torturous ways. So like keep respecting God's creation and honor God with your sexuality and your intimacy. Friends, the beginning leaders of the early church movement, those entrusted by God and Christ Jesus to lead this subversive movement during a very uncertain time without a guidebook holding all of the answers, they had to make decisions based on what they felt was good for their neighbors and was glorifying and honoring to God. They prayed and they fasted and they trusted the Holy Spirit to guide them with opening or closing doors throughout this wilderness they navigated through. So we too are praying and fasting and trusting the Holy Spirit as we lead and guide you through this wilderness pandemic. The thing about the wilderness is that no one leaves the same as when they arrived, right? Like I, I, I've seen a lot of different churches and you know everybody's doing what they need to do for their own communities. And I very much value and respect those pastors, but I've seen different uh, churches. It's almost like they're trying to hold fast to what was. Like, like trying to make sure that they are unwilling to allow the wilderness to change them. They're gonna come out on the other side unscathed, exactly the same as they were before. And and so I, you know, I don't think that God is walking through this valley of the shadow of death with us only to protect us fully, so we emerge on the other side of this wilderness fully intact and unscathed, unchanged, unaffected by this time. I think God is with us in it, but that doesn't mean we aren't being reformed into something new for the other side. And when I look at the example of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, the only way his disciple Thomas could trust that Jesus was who he said he was, wasn't his glowing nature or that angels were surrounding him or that his hair was perfectly placed, Thomas only recognized him by his wounds and his scars. Jesus wasn't protected. He didn't try to keep everything the same before and just make it through the hard times. Jesus went through the pain and suffering and trauma and allowed it to change him because people who are trustworthy usually bear some scars, most often metaphorically, but still. People who have been through a wilderness are the ones who can help bring some guidance through these new ones that we are traveling through right now. But we must expect to be changed by it and formed through it. In the Greek, the word wilderness is eremos, which means isolated place. This is a spiritual, emotional, or physical state that one might venture into um, sometimes on purpose, like going on a retreat or a pil pilgrimage, or you see like the desert mothers and fathers, those hermitages that people went on and, and isolated themselves from the rest of the world to like be in that state with God. Like that's something that people go to into on purpose, totally. But there's also a wilderness that we are led into that isn't something that we were like 
wanting to go to necessarily. Like we had no intention of putting ourselves into a wilderness. The wilderness can be a place that is incredibly disruptive. We're removed from familiar spaces and places and rhythms and routines through loss. The wilderness is marked by loss. And this last year has been marked by loss for most of us. Try as we might to hold on to the way things have always been, loss steals those routines and those rhythms away. But friends, in that lack we, that we might, might painfully wound us, God shapes us and forms us into a people who rely on God differently and more authentically than ever before. The wilderness is certainly marked by loss and it brings a new way of seeing beauty within that loss. It's like our eyes and our minds and our, our physicality is reformed and reshaped in order to be able to see the beauty within the brokenness. Where there is lack from loss, God fills those voids, that lack, with God's spirit in often surprising ways. The wilderness can be a place where you hear God differently and, and can listen more closely. Within loss and lack, God speaks and we're able to listen and also to receive. Uh, friends, this is how you've made it through past wildernesses that you have tra traveled through, right? Like whether you knew it or not, that loss that you experienced was filled with God himself. Think about the losses in your life. Think about those wilderness times in your own life. Maybe the loss of a marriage or a friendship, the loss of financial security or a job, the loss of your health, your abilities to do the things that you've always done before. When we lost our first adoption, we had him for a month. That, that, that formed me into a different person. I was marked by a wilderness of loss that I was navigating through. What losses have marked you? And it makes me ask that question, how are we to make it through this wilderness that we are in right now during a global pandemic? How are we to allow this time with God to shape us and form us into a people who might have some scars or wounds from the season, but have also learned to put our trust in God more readily and rapidly? I think of the wilderness, this, this isolated place of disruption has potential to shape us and form us, to discipline us into people who know God and how to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, how to love God emotionally and spiritually, mentally, physically, holistically, our whole selves of loving God. The wilderness can have that potential if you allow it. It can have that potential to train you and form you into a more holistic version of yourself, of who God created and said was very good. In the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, the writer uses this language throughout it, uh, throughout chapter 12, I'm gonna look at it in a moment. He uses this, or he or she, we don't know who the author is, uses this language of like Greco-Gracian um, games. So uh, like the, the 
Greek Olympics or that sort of thing. The Greeks held the human physique with like such high standard. The body was praised. It was showcased. It was admired. And so they built these great big gymnasiums throughout the lands and people would come over to those gymnasiums to then exercise and work on their body. They also only worked out in the nude males and typical, just kidding. And it was just like, this is, this is where people went to, to, to worship these godlike bodies in these gymnasiums. They would train their bodies. They would discipline their bodies through through their behaviors to become a more perfect version of themselves. You know, it, I don't know if you've ever trained for a marathon before. I have not. I've done, a, you know, half a dozen half marathons because that's about all my body can take. Um, but if you're training for a marathon or a half marathon, you have to be intentional with everything you do so you don't hurt yourself or you don't fail at your goal. So you sleep and you eat and you drink differently. The things you put into your body, the way that you treat your body is different during this time. You learn the best ways to endure long runs with extra long mileage so you don't burn out as quickly or you don't injure yourself. You might include other forms of exercise like yoga or breathing exercises. You find that you have to start icing your knees a little bit more. You, you start lifting weights to build other parts of your body. You include those things and it might be painful. It certainly hurts at times, but you push through it because there's this beautiful goal to achieve as you are being formed and disciplined within this often isolating time. The writer of Hebrews talks about how God disciplines his children forming them into a more loving and grace-filled people. And this discipline, I don't know about you, but I oftentimes, when I think of discipline, I, my mind automatically goes to spanking. And that is not what is going on here. This word for discipline is what, like the holistic training and forming of a child. So it's not pain. It is not punishment. It is not abusive. It is not sadistic in any way. It is holistic and loving, the entire personhood of a human being. So it says in Hebrews 12, it says in verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. And there is, a, there is certainly a wilderness hardship that we are enduring right now, isn't there? And I believe this hardship is shaping us and training us into certain kinds of people who are reliant on God and able to love each other in the midst of this hardship. We are being formed and disciplined within this hardship, endure hardship as discipline, the writer says. And it says in verse 10, in verse 10 your parents disciplined you or they disciplined us for a little while as they thought was best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That word trained is the word for gymnasium. So this pain isn't something that's being inflicted upon us. It is part of the pain that comes up from good and, and robust training in that formational sort of sense. And so we can see that this 
wilderness that we are in, we can either see this wilderness with disappointment, with um, questions of why God. And then I and I I think it's really important to acknowledge that that question of why God isn't a form of lack of faith or some sort of doubt. I think God is absolutely big enough to hold our questions, our disappointments, our frustrations, our sadness. God is okay with us saying, why God? So if you are screaming that out right now, God is not offended by that. God embraces you, holds you, cherishes you, loves you like a parent loves their child. But I think we can treat this wilderness as this way of hunkering down, trying to treat everything exactly the same, get back to the way things were before, a global pandemic where we just need to get back to the church building where nothing has changed, where we can press that refresh button and start over. Or we can see the wilderness as an opportunity to meet with God differently. Maybe God wants to use this time that we are in right now to form you and shape you and discipline you into a healthier and more whole version of yourself who is reliant on God, trusting of God and loving of others. And it might be painful. It might hurt when God cuts away those pieces of you that aren't helpful. Your muscles, your spiritual muscles might get a little sore from training. Your knees might hurt and you might be a little grumpy at time. But it says here in Hebrews, right before what we just read, the, the writer says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we feel weary, when we feel depleted and worn out, and we wonder if we can keep on navigating through this wilderness with isolation and deeply divided arguments with family members and, and with racial injustice and everything else that seems wrong with this world, we fix our eyes on Jesus. But friends, Jesus is not just like Gatorade for our soul. <laughs> like Jesus isn't a boost or a pick-me-up. Jesus is the bearer of life. He is the air you breathe, the water you drink, the bread you eat. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, your circumstances probably won't change. It won't make everything right in the world, but it certainly will make everything right in your soul so you can continue helping make things right in the world. Over the weeks ahead, we're going to look at different narratives of wilderness in the Bible. We'll look at Moses and, and David and Hagar. We're going to look at Ruth and Esther, Abraham, Elijah, Philip, Paul, Jesus. We're going to look at these different wilderness narratives. We want to see how God formed and shaped each of these people in their wilderness isolation. We want to see their scars and know their pain and sit in their resilience and learn from their experiences. There's this wilderness story in the book of Genesis that I want to kind of 
end on here today for the next few moments about a man named Jacob. Jacob was born with a twin brother named Esau. And when they were about 40 years old, which <laughs> whenever I've read this story before, I just assumed that Jacob was like 17 or 18, just kind of like, you know, immature in a lot of ways. When they were 40 years old, <laughs> plenty mature and had already had plenty of experiences of hard knocks in their life. We see that Jacob swindles his brother out of his inheritance and blessing from his dad. It was meant for Esau. And when Esau finds out, he is like pissed. I mean, he is so mad. And so uh, Jacob sees that Esau will probably want to kill him. So Jacob flees for his life. He ends up living with some distant relatives. He works for them over the years. He has a family, he has children. And eventually he feels like this need to start going back to his homeland. But in order to do so, he's gonna have to face his enemy Esau. And this is super stressful for Jacob, obviously. But he travels through this wilderness road anyway. And, and by this point of his life, Jacob has definitely become a different person in a lot of ways. I mean, that's just the way things are, right? We, you'd think by 40, but I'm 41. And so I can tell you, but I've, I've got plenty of more maturing to do over my life. But, but he still needs some forming. And there's no better place for formation than the wilderness. So I want to read this out of uh, Genesis 32. You're welcome to turn in your Bibles with me, and that way you can follow along. Um, I always encourage you to, to have your Bibles handy, to feel the pages in your hand, to mark up things in your Bible that are confusing, questions, things that are encouraging you want to come back to later. Um, God's Word is living and breathing and has relevance for you every moment of your life. So get in God's Word. And so it says here, um, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he went over with all his possessions. I'm sorry, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he replied. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. In Bible study this week, which we do on Zoom, so you're all welcome to join us anytime, Thursdays at 6.30, um, we were able to process this passage together pretty extensively, and it was an incredible conversation. I encourage you to join us for it. I'm not going to go as deep as we went at Bible study, but there's one specific part of this passage that teaches me 
that I that I want I want to continue to teach me. And and I think that is that there's this what I see is there's this arrogant and self-centered and manipulative person who becomes shaped and formed and disciplined by God in the isolating lack of the wilderness. Jacob wrestled in the dirt, desperate to win and to hold on to what has always been. And he's desperate also to leave that space unchanged, but instead he is totally transformed. The wounds and the scars that he bore became a mark of humility moving forward in his life. Jacob, it says, saw God's face, saw God's face and was forever humbly changed. And instead of arrogance that marked Jacob's life almost his entire life, instead of arrogance being his his path that he walked when he met Esau, the text says in Genesis 33, verse 3, it says, Jacob went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. And then it says in verse 10, after Jacob is like trying to give Esau all these gifts and Esau's like, no, 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 I don't need any gifts. I'm good. I've got plenty. And Jacob's like, no, no, please take them. Please take them. It says here in verse 10, I have, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. The wilderness humbled Jacob enough where he could see the face of God in his enemy. Isn't that the hope for each of us? That we are formed and shaped and disciplined, lovingly disciplined by God, where we can begin to see God even in those who we believe are our enemy. Friends, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we get to see Jesus everywhere. Christ is seen in the person pouring your coffee, in the teacher working with your child through Zoom, in your Uber driver or police officer or Black Lives Matter protester. When we are looking with a formational humility, we can see Christ is in all and is all. Friends, within this wilderness lack, Jesus fills every void within your heart, mind, body, and soul. And when you receive this love, your first response towards others isn't hatred or animosity. It isn't needing to have the last word or believing that they are the problem. Your first response towards others isn't blame or shame. It is love and grace and forgiveness. Your first response is seeing Christ in every encounter. And maybe then, friends, maybe then we can start walking this wilderness together as God forms us and shapes us and disciplines us into people who do justice, who love mercy, and with a limp sometimes walk humbly with our God as we navigate this wilderness together. So now may the peace and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you forevermore. And may you continue walking this road, knowing that God is with you in all things.